The hour to which the podcast adjourned having arrived, the podcast is now in order. Let's gavel in for this week's State House Takeout with the reporters on top of Beacon Hill at the State House News Service. Here's Sam Doran. Tuesday's elections came and went, largely predictable in Massachusetts, though with a few surprises in local races. Matt Murphy and Katie Lannon join us this Friday to talk about what comes next after these votes have been counted. Let's uh, start, Matt, with the governor's race. Governor Baker handily beat Democratic challenger Jay Gonzalez. Uh, So what are we going to see coming up in Baker's second term? That was the big question on Wednesday morning when the governor came back to work here at the State House. He called an all-staff meeting at 9.30 in the morning, followed by a meeting with his cabinet. And after he got those questions of what he would do with this big mandate, I I think we talked about it uh, last week, that he had a potential to maybe break the the record for uh, supporter popularity. He didn't quite top his mentor on Tuesday came up with about 66, 67 percent, I think, Katie, right, Uh, in that uh, over Jay Gonzalez. Uh, But that's still a huge mandate. And so, you know, we asked, oh, what are you going to do? And his answer was basically, uh, I think my mandate is to keep doing the things that we've been doing. Uh, And that meant uh, continuing to focus on transportation, the opioids. He talked about trying to nudge his word, uh, his housing bill across the finish line. So if he can't get that done in these next few months, uh, we expect to see a housing push uh, next session. But I think it's going to be more of the same from Governor Charlie Baker. Katie? Yeah, and that's pretty much uh, what he pledged on election night to continue his, as he calls it, thoughtful, humble approach into his self-described nonstop pedal to the metal, let it rock second term. (laughs) We haven't, as Matt notes, heard a lot of big concrete specifics for this is what's going to happen. He has sketched out some ideas um, over the course of the past few weeks and months talking about the human services workforce, vehicle emissions reductions, um, some education and workforce efforts for the black and Latino communities. And, you know, bigger picture, I think some of the themes from the Gonzalez campaign, investment in transportation, investment in education, those are things that aren't going to go away even after the race. Um, Jay Gonzalez didn't carry a ton of the, the vote margin there, but there are a lot of people mobilized around those issues. Yeah, and those things, like you said, aren't going away. Uh, But one thing I think we could be fairly certain of is I don't think you're going to see a proposal from Governor Baker for some broad-based tax increases next session. He didn't, uh, this week on Wednesday, rule out tax cuts, though we haven't seen those materialize either. He hasn't really seemed to have much of an appetite for kind of touching that, uh, that third rail of taxes, and he knows he needs the Democratic legislator to work with him. Uh, so we will see what kind of revenue f- proposals uh, House Speaker uh, Bob DeLeo has in mind. But, uh, you know, the state got another positive revenue report this month, uh, now a third of the way through the fiscal year, uh, again, trending ahead of benchmark, a $350 million cushion so far in fiscal 19. So things are looking good. Speaking of the Democratic legislature that the governor has to work with uh, this second term, uh, there were a few local surprises, a few flipped seats in the House and Senate. Uh, Tell us about those, Katie. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting as we see the the governor pursuing whatever his second term agenda shakes out to be. It will again be with veto-proof Democratic majorities in both branches. 
supermajorities. The Democrats picked up a, a couple seats in the House and one in the Senate, and they're coming in with 127 Democrats in January in the House and 34 in the Senate. A um, couple new faces there, as you mentioned. We saw two incumbents lose on Tuesday night, two incumbent Republicans, Richard Ross in the Senate and Jim Lyons in the House, both replaced by uh, Democratic women. And indeed, it is a, uh, a record session coming up for women in the uh, State House and Senate. That's right. Women will hold 57 seats in the new term, um, which is about 28, 29 percent. Um, of course, women make up almost 52 percent of the Massachusetts population. So that's not at parity, but it's a historic level. Um, and obviously, one of the most important women is going to be Senate President Karen Spilka, who uh, won't be new to that job. Uh, but uh, she did come in at the very end of formal sessions. And that's the big question mark, I think, looking ahead to January in the coming two years. If Baker may be a known commodity and uh, what you see is what you get and voters uh, apparently liked what they saw and they gave him another four years. But uh, the speaker uh, expected to be reelected uh, to lead the House, but he will be picking a new Ways and Means chairman and he will be working with Karen Spilka for the first time in any real substantive way. She also has to pick some new leadership positions, uh, including a, a Ways and Means chair on the Senate side. Uh, that could be someone like Joan Lovely, who's currently the vice chair in the Senate. Uh, but some new faces at the top uh, in the leadership structures in both the legislature. And it'll be interesting to see how uh, both they work together and also uh, how they work with the governor and whether or not the results of the election, you know, we saw some uh, progressive Democrats get elected, some uh, newer, younger uh, Democrats coming into this branch and including uh, Nika Eligardo, who knocked off Jeff Sanchez in the primaries. I mean, we forget about uh, that as we kind of looked at just the general election. Uh, but uh, how does the speaker respond to maybe some pressure from his left? On the ballot questions, uh, no surprises per se, although question one failed by a wider margin than any of the polls predicted. Uh, Katie, what's next for those who are seeking a mandatory nurse-patient staffing ratio? Well, Sam, I think an important kind of piece of context here is that this is one of those issues that supporters brought to the ballot in part because they were frustrated that the legislature had not acted on this in the past um, like we've seen marijuana advocates do over the years, that same kind of idea. And the idea that some of those backers and even some in the legislature had that if they passed the law at the ballot, you know, the legislature could come in and tweak it. They just needed to get something done. Of course, that's not what happened. Nothing got done on that front. But I think we've seen both sides kind of acknowledge that this isn't the end of the conversation. There is a real issue here that needs to be addressed in terms of nurse staffing, nurse burnout, the ability of nurses to safely care for patients. And we don't know yet kind of what the ultimate solution to that will be, if it will be staffing ratios, if there will be another policy approach that can be taken. But it seems like healthcare in general is going to be an issue that comes back up this session. And this could be a part of that debate. Yeah, Katie's right. I mean, I think we have to expect that the legislature will take another run at health care this upcoming session after talks failed in the closing days uh, back in July to get a health care bill done to help community hospitals. And uh, the nurses issue could uh, come up and be considered at that time. You just never know. I think, you know, it's tough for the union, uh, the MNA, 
uh, had tried at the legislative level, tried at the ballot, failed both times. But we also heard on election night some of the hospital executives, including a former uh, state lawmaker, Steve Walsh, who now heads up the Massachusetts Health and Hospital Association, saying that while he was happy to see question one uh, defeated, uh, he recognized that it, it raised some interesting or important uh, workplace concerns uh, going on with nurses. And whether that takes the form of a, a collective bargaining resolution that hospitals can reach with the union, or if it has to come to the legislature, I know that uh, some people like uh, House Majority Leader Ron Mariano is a little leery of lawmakers getting involved in legislating these sort of private sector uh, workplace things, but uh, perhaps there's some middle ground uh, that we haven't yet seen that they can work out. All right, we'll be watching. Thanks, folks. Thanks, Sam. And believe it or not, there was some other news this week besides the election. Colin Young, how you doing? How's it going? It's going well, thanks. <laughs> you spent some time over at the Gaming Commission this week, right? Sure did. And uh, since January, Gaming Commission has been looking into the sexual misconduct allegations raised against casino magnate Steve Wynn. Uh, their findings were going to be made public in September and then uh, October. Then it was going to be December next month. And now it could be delayed even further, you reported this week, because of a lawsuit filed by Wynn in Nevada. Yeah, Sam, that's right. Uh, Steve Wynn filed a lawsuit in uh Clark County, Nevada, late on Wednesday, that, uh, interestingly, he's suing both the Mass Gaming Commission, uh, Karen Wells, who is the Gaming Commission's head of investigations, uh, but he's also suing Wynn Resorts, the company that he founded and, of course, that bears his name. So the lawsuit alleges that Wynn Resorts improperly gave the Gaming Commission documents that Steve Wynn says were protected under attorney-client privilege. And then that the commission used those documents uh, as part of its investigation into uh, these sexual misconduct allegations that the Wall Street Journal brought to light back in January. Uh, Wynn is asking, Steve Wynn that is, is asking a judge to bar the gaming commission from releasing its report if it relies on any of those documents that he says were uh, improperly given to the commission. Uh, and he's also asking for damages of more than $30,000 from the gaming commission. Uh, and, and the reason that this is significant, um, like you mentioned, Sam, this uh, investigation has been going on since uh, late January, really got underway in early February. Uh, the Gaming Commission's Investigations and Enforcement Bureau has been uh, all over the country flying to Las Vegas, interviewing uh, people here in Boston to try to determine uh, whether the uh, Wynn Resorts board and its executives knew of these allegations against Steve Wynn, uh, knew of a settlement payment that was not disclosed to the Gaming Commission uh, when it decided to grant Wynn Resorts a casino license here in Massachusetts. Uh, and the fact that uh, this lawsuit could now delay that report is significant because the report has already been delayed a few times. Um, and the executive director of the Gaming Commission, Ed Bedrosian, uh, said on Thursday that commissioners will not be given a copy of the report. Um, uh, he had last said that the Investigations and Enforcement Bureau was putting the final touches on that report. Uh, but he said Thursday that the commissioners will not be given a copy of the report until this lawsuit is resolved out in Nevada. And how does all of this affect the commission's determination of whether Wynn Resorts still holds on to its casino license? Yeah, that's what we're building to here is that uh, that decision of knowing what the uh, Gaming Commission will know whenever this report is is released, uh, should Wynn Resorts still hold 
the license for the casino that it's building in Everett. Uh, and Sam, it was a busy week for uh, Wynn Resorts. Uh, during a third quarter's earning, earnings call on Wednesday, the same day that Steve Wynn filed this lawsuit, right. uh, Wynn Resorts CEO Matt Maddox uh, told investors that Encore Boston Harbor, that's the, the uh, rebranded name of the Wynn Casino in Everett, uh, is still on track to open in about eight months. So that puts us uh, summer of 2019. Uh, but Maddox made no mention of the Gaming Commission's investigation and, of course, did not mention the uh, lawsuit that was to be filed later that day. Um, but he also uh, shed some light on the financial status of Wynn Resorts. Uh, he announced that uh, the company is going to be scrapping uh, a massive development that it had planned uh, for the Las Vegas Strip. There's a, a development that was going to include a lagoon and white sand beaches. That's no longer in Wynn Resorts' plan. And through the middle of this week, Sam, uh, shares of Wynn Resorts uh, are down more than 32% year-to-date. Oh, geez. Say goodbye to the lagoon. Okay. Yeah, no lagoon, but already Wynn Resorts has uh, spent $1.8 billion on its Everett Casino. Wow. All right. Thanks, Colin. Thanks a lot, Sam. Have a good weekend. Statehouse Takeout is a production of the Statehouse News Service. And for a daily fix of Statehouse headlines, visit masterlist.com. Masterlist with two S's. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.